The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from the Warner Center in Woodland Hills, California. Delighted to be with you here on this Wednesday. We've got big, big news. I know that we've been promising you our new website for quite a while. And the fact of the matter is, is that we are in beta right now. So I'm going to tell you, you can go to the old site, which is autism-live.com and be watching us. Um, but we would love it if a bunch of you would take a tootle over to http colon backslash backslash beta dot autism hyphen live dot com and take a look. You can even ask questions on the new format that's there. I'm going to tell you about describe both formats for you. Um, but before we get to all of that, I just uh, and, I'll, and I'll come back to this uh, particular beta site to tell you some of the cool things about it. But especially on the the new site is the brand new Autism Live 2018 Toy and Gift Guide, and you'll see a little toy guide uh, icon at the top of the page and you can click on that and it will take you to the interactive toy guide where you can read about all the things that we're recommending in all the different age ranges and categories and what won which award because there's like a, a top sensory award, there's a top therapist award, a top parent award, all of those different things. Um, but this year you can actually purchase the toys from that site by just clicking on the buy button and it will take you to the site where you can purchase it because that was the one thing that you guys asked for last year so that's there now um, as to everything else and uh, Gabriel is starting to show you a bunch of the different ways that you can connect with us and while he's doing that I want to remind you that our old site is still there which is autism-live.com that's going to be there for a few more days as we beta the new website and by the way if you see that a button doesn't work or something uh, isn't quite flowing the way it, we had hoped it would on the beta site please write to me and let me know that's what a beta phase is all about right but in a few days we will shift from the beta to the regular so when you go to autism-live.com you'll get the new website but you know we know that sometimes people get used to doing things the old way and if you want to go to the old site you will still be able to go to old autism-live.com and be able to partake there. Now, if you still want to ask a question on the current site, all you have to do is put your little cursor in the box that says your question and you type and you hit enter, right? Now, that takes up a large portion of the screen on our current website. When you go to the beta site, what you will see, first thing that's going to happen is there is going to be a pop-up that's going to ask you if you want to subscribe to our mailing list. Because if you're not getting our viewer guides and you want to, that's the quickest way to do that. You can either do it and, and say submit and then it will go away or you can click the little X and make it go away. We're not going to make that pop up every 30 seconds like a lot of websites do, but you are going to get that at the start of the website. 
Uh, then you're going to see all the fabulous things that there are to see there, and it's really cool. Uh, it's more like a Netflix site that you can scroll through and see so many videos. It's really fun. But way down in the bottom in the corner, it says, Ask a Question. And if you click on that, it, a pop-up window comes up, and that's where you type and ask your question. So that you can be watching the screen and seeing the, the live feature. There will be a button that flashes up in the top that says that we are live. And if you want to click that, it will take it to full screen, and there'll be a button that you can push to make the screen small. We really wanted to be able to give you the best viewing experience and the best opportunity to see the library of videos that we have. And there's a new and better search feature so that you can be searching all the different websites. And uh, there is even a button at the top where you can search the Ask Dr. Doreen topics uh, that we've been telling you you could go to the card site to do that. Now you can do it from Autism Live as well. Very exciting. We want to thank everyone who's been working on that tirelessly for about a year and a half. Uh, so super fabulous. Uh, we got a big, big show for you today in just a second. Dr. Doreen Grampiche is here with us for Ask Dr. Doreen. She'll be answering your questions. And then a little bit later on in the next hour, Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allspot Jackson will join me. And our fabulous guest today is Vince Redmond. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist who has also had experience actually doing ABA therapy as a therapist. So he understands both sides of what you're having to deal with. He's going to be talking with us a little bit later on. And plus, we have a lot of exciting news and other, other really important things for you, including answering your questions. So without further ado, it is time for Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grandpiche is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpiche. Dr. Grandpiche. Dr. Doreen Grandpiche. Dr. Doreen Grandpiche is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampiche. She is a true expert in the field of autism and working in this field shockingly for 40 years. 40 years. I, I still can't say that comfortably. Uh, she certainly doesn't look like it. Let, let's say that. Um, but uh, working in this field of autism, working with very young children all the way up through senior citizens and everything in between, uh, individuals who are mildly uh, experiencing uh, autism and those who are very profoundly affected. Right. Um, and really, I, I say this all the time, you're a visionary in this field. Thank you very much. Shannon. You are, are somebody who has <clears> such <throat> compassion for all members of the autism community, the individual themselves. I think you do some of the best perspective taking I've not only experienced in my life, but seen. Um, that you're you. able to look at things and say, what is it like for this individual? Um, but also, what is it like for the siblings? What is it like for the family? What is it like for the caregivers? What is it like for the people who are delivering therapy? Mm -hmm. And to try to take care of everyone within that circle, which is a tough, tough thing. Uh, yeah, but you've I mean, done I, a great I, job. I tried. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And it's, um, I don't think I'll ever be able to fully comprehend what it is like to be a parent. Mm -hmm. um, but it is the one that motivates me the most. So. I'm all about trying to understand what the parents go through. Well, I got to say, you get it better than anybody else Thank who doesn't you. have a child on the spectrum. Thank you so, very much. Yeah. Uh, I think you get it better than I do sometimes. <clears throat> <No>. <laughs> so, and for those of you who don't know, I am a very proud parent of a young man who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two and a half. 
Um, there is a question that I'm going to get to eventually that somebody uh, had said, you say your son uh, is recovering from ASD. Are you saying that there's a cure? We're going to get to that. We're mm -hmm. going to put that one on pause for a second. That's but a big question. It is a big question, and it will take us a little while to get there. But first, we had a question that came in um, last week after, like right as we were ending, mm -hmm. uh, from a mom who's written to us a couple of times before. <clears throat> she and I had a little bit of a conversation after she wrote in this question because I didn't want to make her wait an entire week for somebody to say something of to course, her. Of um, but I, so I, I just three seconds ago handed you the sort of back and forth that we've had going back. But while you're looking at that, I'm going to read the first part of the question. Sure. Hi, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. Hope you are both well. I wrote to you at the end of August concerning my son and his increasing anxiety. My son is 13 years old, has ASD, ADHD, and a learning disability. Last week, his consult has finally prescribed him 10 milligrams a day of Fluxetine, I always murder the names of the medicines, mm -hmm. uh, to try and help with his anxiety. I'm really hoping the medication helps give him a bit of ease. He's very vocal about his worries, and I'm trying to find ways to help him deal with these. School is very difficult for him as he's in a class that has very challenging children. The class is very unsettled, and he is so aware of others' feelings. He's exhausted when he gets home from school. He constantly needs reassurance from me and suffers from separation anxiety, especially from me. We have a worry plaque and a feelings journal, but we're constantly using these. I'm not sure if there's anything else I could be doing. I feel very helpless at the moment, and I'm worried about his mental health. Um, and, you know, I, I had written back to her to say that we would put it at the top of the of hour. Course. And and also to say, you know, I have uh, been a classroom teacher for many years, and um, I have concerns always. If, if a classroom is a mess uh, and, and the person who's in charge of the classroom can't contain people's behaviors, everyone suffers. Absolutely everyone. And so, you know, that's a concern for me, and I'd written back to her about that. She wrote more about what some of her concerns are, which I don't think we need to necessarily share, but I wanted you to be able to see it. So what do you recommend for this 13-year-old boy and this mom who's so concerned about his anxiety? Yeah, and I noticed that, I think, I just looked at the email, and I think this is someone in England. Ireland. Ireland. Ireland, And yeah. so I don't know what the laws are mm -hmm. in Ireland in regards to uh, school attendance. Mm -hmm. But the first thing, when I read the situation, the very first thing, because she says, what else can I do? I would pull my child out of school immediately. Like, there is no way that I would expose my child to this. Because what is the downside? Like, yeah. you know, short of someone coming and arresting me to for, for uh, truancy, I would pull my child out because yeah. he's not going to, it's not worth it. The stress and anxiety that he is going through, the fear that is developing, um, it, it doesn't balance out with gains. Mm -hmm. he, I don't know, first of all, that he's gaining anything. Even if he was gaining, I don't know that it's worth this anxiety. So. I would pull him out until the district found me a better placement. There you go. That's what I would do. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And so I've been to some classes that are like this, and believe me, it causes stress and anxiety for us. Like, forget about a child who might be also sensitive in terms of hearing or sound or 
just fearful if there are other children who are aggressive or doing challenging screaming. I mean, imagine being in a classroom where there are other children who are completely out of control, screaming, perhaps the noise level, the activity level, it's just fear evoking. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, I, absolutely. And I think um, it's so difficult for parents to listen to their inner gut sometimes because one of the things that she did write in the second email that she described how when she leaves him at school, yeah. she feels like she's driving away into the sunset and leaving him in this really horrible environment, horrible environment and, that, and it doesn't sit well with her. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I know I have had things like that happen as a parent where I've said, you know, I really, I, I'm not, I'm not okay with this. I'm yeah. not, yeah. but it's so hard to listen to that voice in yourself because you don't know when are you overreacting. It's true. Um, but I love that you wrote in. I love that you heard that from the preeminent expert in autism that she's saying, no, listen to yourself Absolutely. and, and don't, yourself. don't leave him there. Um, Undoubtedly, there's no, there's just no reason. There's there no reason to expose him. You know, a lot, I mean, I learned this lesson or much milder version of this lesson many, many years ago. I had a, a child in school and he was doing pretty well. He enjoyed school actually, he, uh, because he was very smart and he enjoyed learning, but he had started to develop a pretty significant phobia about going from class to class, you know, like moving in yeah. between sets. And we discovered that it had to do with the buzzer, the, you know, the oh. time, the buzzer that indicates that it's the end of a class session. Oh, yeah. And it was so horrific for him that about you know 15 minutes um, in the prior to the buzzer, he would just completely start panicking. Right, like we're talking panic, and it's just you know we ended up actually giving him headphones and he was fine. But the issue is that why force a child? Like we for, at first we tried to acclimate him to the sound, mm -hmm. and we were like you know what it's just this is too much for him. Yeah. Why force this child to that? And we're trying to give him worry plaques and feeling journal, but a worry plaque and a feeling journal only are they're objects that have no value unless they gain some sense of peace, right? Um, so he could write forever, but it's not going to help him avoid that, that anxiety provoking yeah. situation. Um, or he could tell you that he's worried. Uh, it's not going to help him. The bottom line is he's going into sort of from his perspective, maybe. Uh, it's like entering a war zone. Yeah. So take him out. There you go. Take him out and have the school provide you with a better environment for him. Sometimes it's not about modifying the child's abilities. It's about modifying the environment there sometimes. There we go. Now, when he comes home, mm -hmm. and she's probably going to have to homeschool for a little while while they find a placement, what kinds of things could she be doing on to work on the anxiety there? I think that probably the anxiety would not occur there, but would occur when you find another placement. Okay. So what will probably happen is that you won't be dealing with this sort of stuff at home because it sounds like it's more school-based. If it is home-based, then please let us know and we'll address that. But um, what will happen is when you start to go back to a new school, he won't trust anyone because he'll think you're going to a bad environment. And what I would do in that case is I would stay with him for a little while until he realizes that you, I'd fade myself out gradually okay. until he realizes that the new school environment is not the same as the old one. It's a much easier type of environment. 
Um, that's all. I mean, like, you know, our children react normally. There's nothing about their... We have to listen to their reactions. That's a very normal reaction. Any child would be upset if they're in a classroom where people are out of control. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the reasons why it, it so concerns me that a lot of times schools will say, well, we need to put all the kids yeah. with autism That's and right. everything else together. That's right. Uh, you know, we're going to segregate them all together, put mm -hmm. them in some place. And for a lot of our kids who are sensory sensitive, you know, being with somebody who sitting next to somebody who does this is enough to put them into a place where they want to crawl into a ball. It doesn't necessarily work putting them together. Absolutely. Like, who or, came up with that great idea? Let's put them all together. Exactly. It's it's completely like counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. The other, uh, even if they're not sensory sensitive, someone who sits next to you and does this all day is distracting. Yeah. So you know, not the fault of the child who's doing this, but the the bottom line is that is why ABA is and has always been one-to-one. -one. Mm -hmm. So the concept has to be that for a child with autism, so forget about everybody else, but that child who's hand-flapping yeah. needs a one-to-one -one so, and they need a different environment altogether because believe me, even that child who's hand-flapping is going to be distracted and upset when there's another child yes. screaming and the child who's screaming is going to be distracted and upset by the child child who's hand they're all going to cause chaos and uh you know with each other's sensory abilities or sensitivities and distracted and so the the whole purpose of going to school is to learn like you are not going to be learning i mean you know it's not a camp where we throw our kids in and and hope that someone's going to take care of them that's not going to happen when when our son was first diagnosed with autism he was two and a half mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. california offered us this sort of floor time-esque thing and uh we went and we're doing it and everybody had said how you know how great it was and how it's kid driven really? oh, and the all school staff so. uh well the the people at the regional center were like, oh, you're going to love this, you're going to love this. So we took Jem and we, we had such high hopes. He had stopped speaking and we thought, this is something, we're going to get something. And it was a nightmare for him. It was an absolute nightmare for him. They would let the kids run around in this play gym for a little while and always what would happen, Jem wouldn't play with anybody else, but at some point he made a lot of noises. He would go, uh, he would grunt. And then one little girl would scream and go, monster. And then, and then Jem thought it was great. He would chase after the kids while they would yell, monster. Oh I was horrified. And yeah. they thought it was great because he's interacting. And I was like, interacting. The other kids, these are kids with autism and Down syndrome and, and other developmental things. And they were screaming that my, and running away from him. So this was horrifying. Oh. Then they would take him into a room that they would call the music room, and they had all the primary plastic colored chairs that would, and they would sit there and they would put on this recording of somebody singing this, you know, different ABC song. And then the teacher would sit in front of them and she would have all these little, they would, you know, A is for Apple and she would sign Apple. And all the other kids sat there in the circle and they would sign these things. And Jem would scream and run for the door. And, and now the kids had behaviors going on while they were singing, but he would scream and run for the door. And, and it, like he was in pain, mm -hmm. he would scream. And if you tried to bring him back, he'd claw and bite and kick. He did not want to be in there. 
And every day was a nightmare. Every single time my husband, they showed us how to hold him in a basket hold. So we would have him in a basket hold while the other kids were doing it. Then um, they said, well, we just need to put him in a weighted vest. So he was in a weighted vest and we were doing the basket hold and he'd scream and claw. I had claw marks on my neck where he would try to get out, right? And then they said, well, we'll put him in a five-point harness therapy chair. So he was in the weighted vest in the oh fight and we would have our arms around him past that because he would tip the chair over, oh get it gosh. on its side and be clawing and kicking his way out. So then they said, let's put a weighted blanket over. And I said, why don't you just staple him to the floor? That's crazy. Right? It was horrifying. But we would be, and this would last like 40 minutes and then they would have a craft and a snack. And I would always come out of there crying and the other parents looking at us. And eventually the other parents asked that we be taken out of the group because he was so disruptive, right? But then before we got to that, though, it was spring break. And one of the other little boys had an older brother who was five in Mm. typical kindergarten. And he came to be, because, you know, what was she going to do? Leave him at home? It was spring break. And he came in and sat down in a chair and no behaviors. And so Jem took one look at him and went over and sat down right next to him and was like looking at what he was doing. And the other boy had his hands like on his knees. And so Jem put his hands on his knees and was watching. And Jem sat there and signed through the whole thing, like, like a magic trick. And I said, what wow. just happened? And it was because he had someone to model that wasn't having a whole lot of other stuff to deal with. And that's when I went, oh, no, 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 no. And went on the look for other things and eventually miraculously found card through really closer. How long did this go on? Like how long was this So we started in January and um, they had us in this process until June. And then right after his birthday, his third birthday, we started with card. That's amazing. And he had not, nothing no gains in that six months but I was beaten and bruised um and then we started with card and it was miraculous it was oh and the change I mean what happened in that first year I've written blogs about it about how what a difference a year can make school by the way wanted him to go to school and when they showed us the IEP what they wanted to do in that year He, the one thing that he could do was that he could sort the little colored bears by colors. Mm-hmm. That's what he could do. And his whole IEP was about that he would be able to sort in colors. And I said to them, there's nothing on here that he's going to gain. Where are the things? And they said, well, he's not capable of doing these things in a group sitting. When he's with other kids, he screams. And so we have to work on getting him to be able to do what he already knows. And I said, so you're going to torture him for a year? Yeah. And that's what you're going to do? And we fought. We fought hard. I mean, I told you last week they sued us. Yeah. uh, Because I said, we're not, no, we're not doing that. We want him to to grow and progress. And we fought for and were able to do a 40-hour in-home program because that was all you had back then. Yeah. 40 hours of card in the home. I now know what we could have accomplished in that year if we'd had the center, that we could have gotten even more. But, you know, what we got done was miraculous. Yeah, that's incredible. A A year later, a year later, they had someone who didn't know him evaluate him after a year of card. So she didn't look at the previous report, and she offered him full inclusion, and he was included ever after that. After one year of intensive card, there was That's he didn't incredible. scream when he was around other kids. After that, he loved being around other kids. It's, it, you just gave me goosebumps. Like I'm just, 
I'm horrified. It's it, you know, like the stories you were saying about, like you know, like putting him in, in oh. a harness and all that sort of stuff. It just horrifies me that this sort of stuff would have happened just a few years ago. Like yes. I remember going to court for a family because all the '90s was just about going to court. Like we were doing. I was an expert witness every week. And so I, I remember going to court for a family where the the child had been kind of like strapped down in order to be taught. And I remember thinking, like, this is so barbaric. Like, how does this even happen in this century? And to hear that 20 years fast forward, it still is happening is just crazy to me. And and to my kid who, you know, is doing amazing things Who's now. Who's like such an intelligent kid, well, like and, unbelievable. And as a teacher, I kept saying, it seems like there's something else going on. Why aren't we addressing that? Yes, yes. Because he's not going to learn until we get that under control. But right. when I saw him sit next to that kid who was not having all these issues, man, that was it for me. I was like, oh, you know, he, I'm not putting him in a room where he has, because whatever, I, you know, and we hadn't really been paying attention to how much noise because there was more noise coming out of my kid than out of anybody else. Yes. So that's all I was focused on. Yes, of on. course, of course. But then to sit back and go, this is a chaotic thing. These kids had yes. things going on. Yes, yes. No Absolutely. wonder why he, he's screaming and in pain and Absolutely. whatever. Anyway, uh, we should take a break, and then maybe we can come back and talk, answer this question about um, my son is recovering from ASD. Yeah. Uh, and and the, you use the word cure. It's incendiary. So we'll, we'll address that in just a second. So stick with us. We'll be right back after these messages. Hey, I'm Candace Cameron Bray. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're watching Autism Live. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life including self-control, planning, and problem-solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. 
call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become. Parent-to-parent -parent token economies are a great way to get to good behavior with your child. So first of all, let's talk about what is a token economy. It's just a visual representation of reinforcement or a reward that's going to come later on for behavior that you've done now. So I've got a couple examples here of uh, token economies that I want to show you. But one of the most important things to remember with a token economy is that it's essential that whatever the child is working for be meaningful to them. So here, this is a two-part token economy. I've got a list of things for the child to pick from, to pick what they want to work for. So the child would pick off the one they want, put it on their other token economy, and you can see it says, I'm working for a play date. What a great thing to work for. And as this child progresses through their day at school, every time they do a task and they do a good job, they're going to get a token to put on this token economy. And we've got a rule in place for them that says maybe you have to get three tokens in order to get that reward, which today is a play date. And as the child gets better, we're going to make it harder and harder. Maybe next week it's going to be four tokens to get the play date. This is another token economy here. This is a task completion token economy, so every time the child completes a task that there's a picture of, they can peel off a token and put it on to demonstrate that they have completed that task. Again, it's essential that they get a really wonderful, meaningful reward for having gotten these tokens. Using a token economy can be much simpler than this, too, because you can download them to put a free app on any one of your devices. Right here on my phone, I've got a free app, Easy Kid Tokens. And when my child does a task and completes it, and I, he can specify what the stickers are. In this case, it is a ladybug. And when he gets three of them, then he's going to get his reward. This is a really simple way to take something with you when you're going on an outing and make sure that your child is staying on task and getting rewarded for the things that they do. It leads to good behavior. One of the most frightening things there is is when your child wanders away or elopes. Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet, and she's answering your questions in real time. And we had a question that I teased before that somebody wrote in and said, you say your son is recovering from ASD, and are you saying that there is a cure? First of all, you must have read that on our website because it was part of my bio on the old website. That this is, There's been such a... Um, I don't know, an arc. When we first, when our son was first diagnosed, we were using the word autistic. So we were saying to people, he's autistic. And I have to tell you, it didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And I said to my husband, this doesn't feel right. Then we happened to turn on Oprah one day, mm -hmm. and Holly Robinson-Pete and Jenny McCarthy were on the show talking about their children with autism. So eye-opening to me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And Holly Robinson-Pete said, you know, we don't use the word autistic referring to our son because... Um, you know, when somebody has cerebral palsy, you don't call them palsic. You don't, you know, it, it, you don't define them by the thing. So she said, we say he has autism. Mm -hmm. Autism, but it wasn't autism spectrum disorder back then. It was just autism. We say he has autism. 
And I said to, to Jim, my husband, I said, you know, I like that better. Um, he, you know, he is not autism. He is separate. In my mind, that at the time, I said he's separate from autism. So we're going to say he has autism. Then we started at CARD, and I said it doesn't fit anymore. It doesn't fit. It's not the hopeful that I want to be. And we started saying that he's actively recovering from autism. That became the thing that we said all the time. Well, now my son is 15, and he gets to pick and choose some of the words that are used. Mm -hmm. um, and I find it interesting because I always ask him, how, how do you want me to say this? What do you want me to say? And his thing is, I don't have a problem if you say, people, say to people that I was diagnosed with autism at two and a half. And he goes, but that should be the end of the discussion. Yeah, that's because he does not identify himself as being on the autism spectrum. No, and he isn't. I mean, and that's the, that is the, the big thing that people need to realize. So are you ready uh, yes, for like, a long like discussion? On trap this? in. I just always. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and, I, and look, uh, spoiler alert here, somebody's going to be offended. Right? I, I hope not. I mean, I'm going to be very scientific and neutral okay. about this. So, um, it, so let's just, uh, yeah, there's the emotional side of it. So I have so many things to say about this. Yeah. But let me just start with a very important portion of it, and then I'll put my own feelings on it as well. So every, so let's say, um, I'm trying to think of another disorder that we could talk, another mental disorder that we could, let, let's say, dysgraphia or whatever, any kind of disorder that has, it's uh, defined by a series of symptoms, right? So we'll say, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder. That's a good one. Everybody knows about OCD. And obsessive compulsive disorder has a series of symptoms, right? And you diagnose someone, mm -hmm. not by saying, um, you know, oh, he seems to have it or he was born with it or something like that, but mm -hmm. you will... Uh, sit with the patient and you'll observe and you'll ask questions and you'll identify symptoms that are causing such a problem for the individual that the individual is there to seek help. Mm -hmm. And the symptoms are, you know, with OCD, there are things like repetitive compulsive behaviors and et cetera, et cetera, anxiety about a certain thing and so on. And you list these symptoms, right? And you write, oh, he has this and it's severe enough that it's causing him distress. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, and you list them, and, and if there's, let's say, five, and the symptom requirements in the diagnostic manual mm -hmm. are six, you don't get that diagnosis. Right. It's just very simple. If they're five and they're not severe enough, um, you're not going to get the diagnosis. Now, go ahead. I was just going to say, so they wouldn't say that you're OCD because that's obsessive compulsive disorder. disorder but what would you say if you had four and it needed five what yeah. would you say that you, you have some elements of it, OCD or how would you language it it wouldn't be necessary to say that you would express the symptoms that you have okay so, so you would say this individual has a certain amount of is anxious about things okay. you can't even say they have anxiety because anxiety is a disorder okay you would say they have anxiety about certain things okay or they are there's a there are some compulsive behavior is present they're just not enough to classify for that diagnosis so now let's talk about autism okay. right so autism has a series of symptoms that must be present in order for you to get that diagnosis so in the in the old days it was very interesting because you would have 
uh, you had three sets, right, of behaviors. You had, and when I say old days, I'm talking about prior to 2013, you right. know, or 2015. Way back, right? way, way back, yeah. Way back. <laughs> if I want to really go way back, like we're talking DSM-3, that was a whole different set of diagnostic criteria. That's the one I originally trained on. And it's like 16 different symptoms that had to be present. Then DSM-4 changed that to mm -hmm. three sets. And within each set, you had to have like two or three symptoms present. They just kind of subdivided it. And they were, it, it was an interesting era because sometimes you'd see kids and they would, they would have enough symptoms in sections one and two, which were communication and social, but not in section three, which was self-symmetry, repetitive behaviors. And the same thing holds true today. So you look at a child right now, now that those domains dropped into two, right? And it became social communication, and the other one is sort of the repetitive areas. Or it's not really repetitive because it also includes sensory in there. But nevertheless, you still need to have all of these and a few of these. And if you don't, I'm not going to be able to give you a diagnosis at all. Now, there's enough now where most of the time when I see a child, you will fit to some extent, but now I have the ability to also give you a severity level, which essentially means like you could have a child who is extremely mild on the spectrum and they need a little bit of help, uh, but, and you have a child who's very severe and they need a lot of help. And also I can say they really need a lot of help in the social communication area, but they don't have a lot of self-stimulatory, so they don't need a lot of help in that area. You know, so it's, we have options now. Yeah. But having said that, if I have a child, even right now, who let's say, and I'm now going to describe, and maybe you'll recognize this, who let's say prefers to have uh, less active social life, mm -hmm. so like more of a one-on-one uh, -on -one friendships rather than is not the social butterfly type, right? You know mm -hmm. all of my kids, right? So I'm kind of like not Nikki, not Charlie, but more Nikki, okay. right? They're very different. Right. They're, so there's a child who's less, uh, like their friendships are much uh, more one-on-one uh, -on -one rather than group. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say they, they are, uh, it's a child who prefers to read alone rather than go out and party with friends. Mm -hmm. um, it's an individual who maybe even doesn't really enjoy noisy environments, has problems with noisy environments, so will avoid noisy environments. Mm -hmm. um, let's say they are also disturbed by chaos and intensive lights mm -hmm. and um, maybe going into chaotic environments like the previous one we we're discussing mm -hmm. will cause anxiety for yeah. this individual uh, and all of those types of things, right? So uh, maybe they're not even, because they're, they've been isolated or not in social environments their whole life, they might not uh, read uh, uh, social nuances just as well as other people. Mm -hmm. um, but you know what? I'm sorry. Even with all of that, they just will not get the diagnosis because they don't have enough of the right. symptoms. So Jem, as an example, mm -hmm. just doesn't have enough of the symptoms. He just doesn't. He may still struggle with certain environments, but there is no way on earth anyone would ever diagnose him on this spectrum, ever, right now. So he, the difficulties that he himself, and I don't know if he does or doesn't have, but any child might still have a couple of areas where they need assistance. Mm -hmm. That's normal. Yeah, It's like any other child. Like any child who never received a diagnosis mm -hmm. might come and say, 
you know what, I have a really hard time in a classroom that's really noisy, I can't focus on this, or I don't really know what my friends mean when they say these types of things, or like they could have individual symptoms, right, mm -hmm. but that are, that we also include or not, but they have nothing really to, to do with autism. So. When you have a child, when I get a child and I am, uh, you know, they start out with all 20 symptoms and over the course of intervention, I can no longer, they no longer have enough symptoms to di be diagnosed, they are done with this, this diagnosis. Now you can call it whatever is less offensive because mm -hmm. I am not a parent. I don't know what terminology is offensive or isn't. But to me, it's just the same as saying someone might have chicken pox and they'll have scars left from the chicken pox, but they no longer have chicken pox. Mm -hmm. It is over for them. Mm -hmm. They don't struggle with it anymore. It is not something that I can say they have actively. And it's the same thing. You could mm -hmm. say it's autism in remission if that's how you feel more comfortable. But the bottom line is if a completely neutral psychiatrist, psychologist, diagnostician saw them, they would no longer classify them under that yeah. criteria. That's, and, and I don't, you know, so yes, it is possible to drop the diagnosis. And whether we, and I refer to that as recovery. I, there's nothing, um, I, there's never has been ever in the history of all time any kind of uh, negative connotation with that. I know that parents sometimes, or even individuals on the spectrum. I think it's more individuals individual on the spectrum, on the spectrum. Get upset, yeah. They get upset because they feel like we're saying autism is a bad thing and now you have recovered from it. Yeah. Well, bottom line is, the truth is, anything that is A, classified as a disorder and it means, by definition, that the symptoms of that thing have made life harder for you, period. If you were in a planet where everyone had the same symptoms, life would not be harder because all of life would have been mod modeled to fit individual. But the truth is, life is not modeled for, the, the world is not modeled for individuals on the spectrum. You will go to places where others expect you to communicate at a certain level. You will go to in the environments that are harsh for you uh, sensory-wise, you will. There are a million things that it, your life becomes more difficult, and when uh, uh, the definition of a disorder, by the way, is anything that prevents you from functioning like others at work, at school, at home. Yeah. So you know the example that I've always said is like someone could drink a bottle of scotch a day, and as long as they go to work and have a functioning great work environment, you know, have, do well at work and they don't, they have a good family life, you cannot be diagnosed with um, alcohol disorder or even dependence, like, because you basically are functioning. Right. And that's the key issue here. It's that autism is so pervasive that it prevents you from enjoying or being able to, uh, uh, I guess, access this, the various reinforcers in, in a normal world. And so as a result of that, it is classified as a disorder. Yeah. And so when you no longer struggle with it in the sense that you do not have enough symptoms that prevent you from functioning and even succeeding in school with friends and at home uh, in a work life, then you don't have it. You don't have a disorder. I think part of the issue is that and I love the definition that you just gave because that's the clinical definition. Yes. But emotions always come into it. 
And there is a culture of autism now, too. Yes. And the culture of autism, and the more I meet and talk with adults who are on the autism spectrum and how they identify with themselves and how they, in a time when the world did not have a positive outlook on autism, they sort of banded together like, you know, Protection. Pen like penguins in a snowstorm. They Protection. circled the wagons and they said, we are, I mean, Temple calls herself an autistic. That's like the the oldest generation of people with autism. I am an autistic. That's how much through and through they relate to being autism. Then then a little bit older. It's like saying I'm a woman. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that is how they identify. And they're very protective of it. And they're yes. and they have come to understand that their brains are wired differently. Correct. And and they are protective of that. And they are angry sometimes when I certainly have suggested to my son and to other people, well, look, this is the way I need you to do it. And they will say, why? Mm -hmm. Is that just because you and a bunch of people like you decided? And boy, that's very enlightening to me because it's like, yeah, why do we do it this way? Because mm -hmm. there are more of us than there are of you. But you see that that's changing. That that's there definitely, are, definitely there, you know, I mean, the, and the world is changing to be in ways that are more accommodating of that different wiring. Definitely, no question. But some basic things will never change. Exactly. And one of those is language. Yeah. We, like humanity and, and, the, and the whole difference between us and animals is that we communicate. And so being able to communicate appropriately is not going to, it's going to be something that is always a requirement of fitting into the universe, right? Of and like I want to say, when you say appropriately, what I hear is effectively. Effectively, uh, yes, effectively would be the same, I guess. When I say appropriately, I mean, uh, you know, speaking in, yeah. as opposed to hitting. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, one of the difficulties becomes because there is this feeling of we are autistic and we need to protect that and all of you are trying to get rid of what we are yes and that there is this fear of um that by by getting rid of the disorder that you're you will get rid me. of you're changing me and you will get rid of my culture but the truth is that they're the individuals with autism are wired differently mm -hmm. and my son is still wired differently mm -hmm. he just doesn't have a disorder mm -hmm. and if That's we right. can get all individuals who are wired differently to have all obstacles that are in their way taken out that difference we see more and more of it all the time shines but can i can i just stop for a second yeah it, there is no if we are all wired differently well but there is a very specific thing that i think no it's just gradients it's just, just levels. Well, that We're makes completely sense. Di wired differently. Yeah. Like you just told me today that you have dizziness. Oh, yeah. That's you. Yeah. I don't get that. Yeah. I have other issues. I have back <laughs> problems, right? That's we right. all have yeah. things we struggle with. Yes. They're just not so. If I, for instance, let's say mentally, this is from a perspective of like if I had so much anxiety, yeah. which by the way is a very common symptom. If I had so much anxiety that it prevented me from doing things, would I band together with other very anxious people and say, leave us alone? Right. Or we're would protecting I say, this because we're, we're protecting it because it's part of us. Right. Or would I say, I need to kind of get over my anxiety so that I can go to work? Right. 
Right. And that's what this is about. This is about. But it, beca it became about the words. I wish we would come up for, with different words. I wish we would get get rid of just give everybody that that feels that way the term autism. And I wish they would come up with a new thing for the autism spectrum disorder yeah. disorder and disassociate autism from disorder yes. because they feel that they own that term yeah. i wish we would move another way and I because the fact that it's both of them right. it makes it very difficult for people emotionally uh, understood and i just don't think that there is a way to get away from the word disorder i think it's important to have the word disorder oh i think there I needs mean, to be disorder the disorder let's take autism is a out bad word let's but call it you know hedging green syndrome yes. or hedging green disorder <laughs> right hedging green disorder formerly known as autism spectrum disorder and then we'll talk about autism and all the pluses that autism comes and not the disorder parts that come with it yeah. that's hedging green no, it could be like social communication stereotypical disorder. Or oh, something. I want something out right. there. But, so yeah, hedging green, so it doesn't. But the the issue, I think the you know, and you know why it's important to have, of course, the term disorder is oh. that it opens the door to a million other things. You won't but get any services. Support. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. But I mean, honestly, to me, it's just it's it is important to. Uh, maybe the way to refer to it, uh, instead of like saying recovery or cure or so on, is to say just that um, there it's overcoming the symptoms. Yeah, that's really all it is. It's overcoming the symptoms, or it's it's uh, you know getting control over the symptoms. However you want to talk, however yeah. you want to say it, but it's. Uh, the symptoms are what make it debilitating. I always, when I do a diagnosis with a parent, I always start by telling them the diagnosis itself doesn't matter at all, should not scare you, because I know that it's one of the most scary things to get a diagnosis. Yeah. And I tell people, don't think of it that way because it's completely malleable. It's going to change. Yeah. Uh, you know, and in the old days when we had uh, three or four different versions of the diagnosis, we would often, you'd have a child who would start with aut autism or autistic disorder, go to, let's say, pervasive developmental disorder, and then go to Asperger's, and then go to ADHD, and like it was, and then nothing, right? right? Because they, they were shedding these symptoms as they right. went along. And so that is kind of how I still see it. I still see it as just a series of issues that we need to work on. Some of these issues are uh, require just intensive tutoring. It's yeah. just like someone saying, "Oh, I need my math is terrible. I need help with math." Yeah. Uh, oh, but my you know creative writing is so incredible that I could help you. Yeah. You know, I have to stop you because we're we're out of we're time. Out of we time. Have, I have to let <laughs> okay, you go. Sorry. Yeah. I'm actually a minute late. Um, so Thank we're you. we're going to take a break. We're going to excuse Dr. Grampuchet. I'm going to be back to continue uh, talking about some of the things that you guys wrote in that I can address not of a clinical nature, and then it's going to be time for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy, but stick with us. I can't believe how much I talk about this, and I forgot. Hard times lead to good choices. Many times you're going to find out that change is coming and it's not something that you like to see. Things sometimes just don't work. Sometimes you have to put your child in a new school. 
Sometimes you have to put them in a different classroom. Often you'll see this with perhaps special education versus regular education or everyone's favorite, puberty. All bets are off then. However, these things happen when they need to happen. So making that hard choice is super, super scary. But when you open those doors to look at things that maybe you've never dreamed you would have to look at, you're going to find help that you never expected. There are a lot of people out there dealing with the same things that you are dealing with, and there is a level of help that you never even knew existed. So don't be afraid when it's time to look at the scary problems that you're having. When those things come up, when the aggression increases, when things are falling apart at home, when you're getting the calls from the schools, don't be afraid. Reach out. Find out what you need to do. You might need to look at new schools, new housing. You might need to access new levels of service. But I am telling you, you're going to see amazing things. There are children that, as they grow, do things with the help of others, very specialized support that you never thought they could do. So once you do that and you meet the child where he or she is and you give them what they need, everybody can do better and you're going to see amazing progress. Welcome back to Autism Live. We uh, had to end early with Dr. Grampichet because she had a meeting, but uh, we don't have Nancy yet. I wanted to take just a couple of minutes because we didn't really get to the cure part of the question, the last question. Uh, somebody wrote, you said, you say your son is recovering from ASD. Are you saying that there is a cure? And I just wanted to be clear that here at Autism Live, we don't use the word cure. Um, CARD, the Center for Autism and Related Disorders, uses the term recovery which is very different from cure. Um, and I think there's a reason why we, I feel as a parent, why we don't use the word cure um, is because, a dis and we don't use the word disease because it doesn't, doesn't fit with what the term disease means. So what I think when you're talking about a disease that um, then you can be talking about a cure and we want to be really careful how we choose our words since words are so important and they mean so many things to so many people. We already have enough confusion in the autism community about some people feeling one way about a word and other people feeling other ways. So cure um, definitely puts a negative connotation on all of autism. Uh, if we say that we had to cure it, um, I can certainly understand why people get uncomfortable with that. And there are people who are very uncomfortable with recovery, with that word, and they tell, I've had people refuse to be on the show because we have it on our website and because we talk about it on the show. I have asked all, I've apologized to all of those people and said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. It is never my intention to offend anyone. Uh, or to make them feel less than, nothing could be further from my desire um, in anything. Um, but uh, when I ask them what exactly is it about it, what I find is what they are offended by is by the concept, not even just the word recovery, by the concept. And Because I've said, pick a different word to discuss for me to use when we're talking about the concept. Give me what word would be okay with you. And medical in the medical profession now, they do call it remission. That is how they code it in insurance, as they say that someone is in remission. Now, I don't like that at all. <laughs> to me, that's like, ah. Uh. Um, but uh, that's how the medical community, and I've said, what word isn't offensive to you? And what they say to me is, no, it's the concept of it that is offensive to me. And that, I, I say to everyone, oh, I'm so sorry, because I cannot 
say that I'm going to stop talking about the concept of recovery because the concept of recovery is very much there. It's emotional for people because not every person is going to have the opportunity or is going to recover from the disorder of autism. We already know even if you could give them the very best of everything and not everyone is going to get to that point where they would no longer be considered having a disorder. And that is what we should be focusing our time and our energy on is why. Why is it that with a lot of people, um, some people get funding and some people don't? And why do some people, when they get funding, not get to that point of recovery? And science keeps showing us more and more what are the, the different aspects of why don't all children recover? CARD, for one, is very much at the forefront of this, trying to figure out how do we get more done? What are the, what are the things that are most likely predictive of kids who will do well? Um, and um, I, we talk about those endlessly on the show, that one of the biggest one is getting the full prescription, that so many of you who are listening and hear the sound of my voice right now have fought for and gotten ABA therapy. So many of you, not everybody has been able to have achieved that yet and we keep working on that, right? And I say to anybody out there, when there's a will, there's a way. There are so many more ways than when we started this show to get ABA and to get funding for it. So if you're still in that place, please reach out directly to me, s.penrod at autism-live.com and let's figure it out because everybody deserves this. And, and where there's a will, there's a way we can get the funding I, or find another way around it. There are tools out there. You can do it yourself and you can start today. So reach out to me directly, s.penrod at autism-live.com. Thanks, Gabe, for putting it up there. And uh, let's get you figured out with that. But for those of you who got the funding for ABA, if you have a child that is younger than the age of six, I want you to stop everything for a day and fight to get more hours. And when I tell you that it's like, think of it as your house is on fire, I'm just not kidding. What we see with insurance companies, the studies are in place that show what's effective for six and under. They're there. You have everything that you need to fight with your insurance company and it may take you a year. It may. Um, but that would be a year well spent um, because you need that funding. We're seeing that more and more insurance funding uh, is drying up starting at around age six. Definitely at eight there's a big cut and a lot of kids are losing all of their funding by the age of 10. And that's a much harder climb. People are winning still when they're fighting but it's a much longer uh, it's it's a, a more severe fight, but if you six and under, the studies are all there. There's hundreds of them. There's no way it's unconscionable if they're not giving you the full prescription. Make sure that whoever diagnosed your child uh, gave you a full prescription. It should be between 25 and 40 hours. And if you have a child who is not yet in kindergarten, it push 440. Don't let anybody tell you less than 40. Yep, you have to ramp up to it because a, a two-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old can't start with 40, but they can ramp up to it. If you start them with 20 and then make it 25, then make it 30, and then the next week 35, they can do 40. And it makes a huge difference, makes a huge, huge difference. But I started all this because we were talking about the word cure and why people get so emotional. On the one hand, we have people who are saying, I'm fine just the way I am. And my, I want to loudly say, yes, yes, you are. 
But the, the double-edged sword of that is that in the same breath they'll say, but why can't I get funding to take this class that I know that would help me with this thing that I need? Well, because we can't argue that you are fine and perfect and that you need help and support in the same place because politicians and funding sources don't understand the nuances of that. You and I do, but they don't. Um, and I want to send you the message that you are fine and perfect exactly the way you are, but you do need help and support. So that is why um, we have to be very careful about the words that we choose. And I'll get on the same page and say, um, you do need help and support. You absolutely do. But there are things to put in place that you could eventually get so much help and support that you wouldn't need the help and support anymore, right? And then, then what, what will we say? Um, you can pick the word whatever you want to say, um, but CARD uses the term recovery. Uh, no one here at Autism Live or at CARD uses the word cure. It's not appropriate. It's not a disease. It's a disorder. That's why recovery, remission, I guess those are our options for now. Anyway, write in however you feel about it because it's a discussion. And, every, uh, and I firmly say to people who are on the spectrum, what, how, what words would you like to use? Whenever we're here and starting an interview, I say, what words would you like to use? And would you like to use those words yourself? Uh, and I say that to my son all the time. All right, I've soapboxed about that enough. We gotta take a break. It's time for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. So uh, watch this break and we'll be back with Nancy. Stick with us. You say howdy, we say hi. Let's get right, let's get right. Let's get, let's get, let's get right. Hey, welcome back to Autism Live. We heard you. Everybody wants macaroni and cheese. Yeah, but we're going to make it allergy free. But here's what's the crazy part of this macaroni and cheese it's actually healthy. So we're going to start. We got our water boiling. Um, there's so many variations on the pasta. Um, we're using today a corn pasta. We can verify with the manufacturer that we have a GMO free product. So let's go ahead and put that in there. Ooh, and if you don't mind, stir that sure. up for me, my friend. Now it's sticking a little bit to the bottom. Yeah. Is that okay? We maybe add a little more high heat oil okay. and Spread that around again. One thing you gotta know about gluten-free pasta, if you overcook this, it becomes mush. Let's move this guy over to the Stop other it. burner so you can see what I'm doing. And now we're gonna start with the old macaroni and cheese sauce. What's great is there's a lot of choices for, um, you know, different soups. And the way that I look at soups, and again, please follow the recipe on uh, your screen right now. I don't like to measure very often. Uh, but what I like to use is a creamy um, butternut squash soup. So this soup is great because it adds a lot of flavor um, to the dish, but also gives people another serving of vegetables. With kids, we don't want to over-season. Maybe with the adults, we can uh, season some for the kids first, pull it out, serve them, and then add a little more you know, garlic powder or onion powder or other types of things into your dish. So the next most important thing on this recipe is we're gonna add in a thickener and the faux cheese. Now some people like their sauce really thick, so you just add in more cornstarch or more arrowroot, so that's not a big deal. How's that doing? You think, I think it's ready? I think it's done. Okay, so why don't we switch? I'll okay. take that, you do that. Okay. And um, I'm going to strain this bad boy here. Here, let me turn that off. Okay. Or we're gonna cause trouble again. 
trouble in Lisa's yeah. kitchen. No. <laughs> That's another show. Don't, yeah, right? <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and get this all strained. It's a good consistency. So I'm going to check to make sure our pasta is cooked. So really, you just want to make sure, just like any pasta, it's a little bit squeezy, a little bit. Nice. Dude, good job. Yay. We're good. It looks yummy. So even though the cheese is not totally melted, it's okay. Don't panic. What's important is that you're going to love this recipe once you eat it. Um, what I enjoy most about this recipe is that it's, it smells good, but this That's stuff perfect. is amazing. So if you don't mind, I'm going to serve you some up, and you can yeah. maybe blow a little bit on it so you don't burn your mouth. Sorry, I'm once a mom, always a mom. I was like, mom. just like we told <laughs> I know, right? Oh, but I can't wait. wait. I'm excited. <laughs> so I'm going to give a shot of this too. But oh my gosh, that is so good. This is the ultimate comfort food. So oh, it's so isn't good. Isn't it good? And I'm not just saying that. It is really good. Mmm. <laughs> literally tastes like something our kids would really like. And that sweetness is really, really, really good. So the bonus for us is that when we're serving this to our kids, they're actually getting a full serving of vegetables in this. So instead of just eating a bunch of carbs and worthless calories, you're actually getting some good stuff in this. And um, we'll be back next time. I hope you join us again here on Autism Live. We're really loving the feedback. And if you have additional feedback, here's how you get it to us. You can send it to us via email at autismlive at gmail.com. On Facebook, Facebook, mm -hmm. facebook.com slash autismlive. And also, there's thousands of recipes waiting for you to discover them with pictures and different things on the TACA website. So you can hit TACA on the web, tacanow.org, and we'll be back. Hopefully, we'll get to do this again. I had so much Maybe fun. Maybe we'll have a little wine, but you got to join <laughs> us next time. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Bye, guys. We're going to keep eating. You say hi, we say hi. Let's go let's go let's go. Welcome back. Hi. And uh, welcome. It's I, I was waiting for you to start, and then it was on me. And I'm dizzy today, so we yeah, were talking okay. about this earlier. That's right. So uh, forgive me for okay, not knowing which way is Good up. Good morning, and welcome to Let's Talk Autism <laughs> with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspaugh-Jackson. And I'm dizzy Shannon Penrod. I know. We hope um, that you're going to be better. Well, I'm dizzy all the time. I, you know, somebody was saying something about dizzy the other day, and I was like, yeah, but I'm dizzy all the time. Like, really? pretty much all the time. Mm -hmm. And because uh, they were talking about going on some ride at something, I was like, oh, yeah, no, 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 I can't do that. I'm dizzy all the time. Right. Um, but then I have, in the spring and in the fall, sometimes I have, like, intense dizzy that comes. Okay. And today I'm intense dizzy. All right. It's that's, not fun. No, that's not fun. Is it vertigo? Well, you know, it's funny because I've been through, since I was a teenager, I've been mm -hmm. through so many tests. Somebody, when I was a teenager, said that I had vertigo. But then, uh, and I think stress. Mm -hmm. uh, and not getting enough rest mm -hmm. exacerbates it. Of course it does. And probably too much salt intake. See me telling on myself right. now all these things that probably add into it. But um, after Jem was diagnosed, I started having bouts of them again. And it could be partially hormonal because mm -hmm. after having a child, mm -hmm. you know, that had changed too. But right. um, so then another doctor said I had Meniere's. Somebody else has uh, said it's benign positional vertigo where mm -hmm. the crystals... 
I don't know. That's I don't know. It's a drag to put it's, up with. It's it's a big old drag. Mm -hmm. And and you know, I was never somebody who you could put on a carousel ever right. in my right. life. That wasn't oh, okay. You know, I go to Disneyland and I ride the bench most right. of the time right. and bring bring my book and I sit there and do whatever while my family is on rides. There yeah. are a couple of rides. I can go on the Peter Pan ride, but that's about it for me, right? That's about, I can't do the carousel. You're not doing the, you're not doing roller coasters. Oh, somebody <laughs> said to me, but you know, you can, the other day they said, oh, but you can do like, what's the, the, the one mountain? And I was like, are you out of your mind? Oh, I, I got to take stuff to ride the tram. I get dizzy on rides too. And we were recently at a festival in Hidden Hills, California where they have a carnival. Uh, and Wyatt loves to do the one that tilts around. Yeah. He like craves it. Well, you know, um, they say that everybody, there's a spectrum of your inner ear mm -hmm. and how well you like to be in different positions and, and so on and so forth. And for some of us, it, our inner ear is so overactive that, mm -hmm. you know, if you were to spin me a little bit in this chair, I would be like, ooh. You know, um, but our kids on the spectrum, they say a lot of times their inner ear is underreactive. Uh -huh. So I don't know if you remember, there was a big phase right around when our kids were being diagnosed in the astronaut training. Right. Did they ever do that with Wyatt? No. They take a turntable. A lot of OTs were doing this, and I think they still are doing it. So they take a turntable, um, and they set the kid on it, and there were like these 10 positions. So first they had to sit, and they would turn them... 10 spins to the right and then mm -hmm. 10 spins to the left. Mm. Then they would have them lay on their left side, 10 spins to the right, 10 spins. It making me dizzy thinking about it. And then they had to lay on their back and then I think they had to lay on their belly. And what, it was amazing because after they would do this with some kids, they would speak. Really? They would speak. Kids that weren't speaking mm -hmm. would speak. I saw it with my very mm -hmm. own mm -hmm. eyes. Um, and a kid who was saying one words would some one word would sometimes say a full sentence, mm -hmm. and it was a very um, interesting thing. And and one of the things that Card had said to us, Jem was very reactive and would talk better after he would be spun. So we had a turntable for a while, but I also would stick him in an office chair and I would spin him. Really, and and he loved it, man. He just thought it was the greatest thing. But one of the things that Card said to us as a reinforcer was take him to Disneyland. Mm -hmm. And because we noticed that every time we would take him to Disneyland, he, for like two days after, would be more interactive mm -hmm. and he would talk more. And we would always take him on the teacups. Right. And he loved the teacups. I can't even yeah, the watch the teacups. Right. Right. I'm, I'm like holding on to things. Um, so uh, there is something about it mm -hmm. um, that, you know, Changes it their... wakes up a part of their brain. Mm -hmm that is, is not as, uh, that's got a little bit of a snooze button maybe right, on right. it, where other people it's a little hyperactive. Right. So, you know, there we go. Well, in the news today we have a story about the brain. Yeah, In somewhere. autism brains, neurons may take up more space than usual. Don't you find that interesting? Yes. People with autism have more gray matter, and which is what neuronal matter is, in their brains overall than their typical peers do. Um, the unpublished findings are based on a brain scan from 211 people with autism, a large sample size for this, of this kind. And this uh, was presented uh, just the other day at the 2018 Society of Neuroscience annual meeting in San Diego. Um, and you know, years ago, uh, I can remember they were starting to do MRIs on kids with brains uh, that had 
autism, mm -hmm. and they were saying that little kids, that their brains, we talked about this last week, their brains grew faster. Uh -huh. And they were trying to figure out what it is. Of course, we've had people on the show talk about that it's an autoimmune response, potentially. Right. Um, it, it partially explains why more boys than girls, because um, there's a cascade effect that happens with um, one of the hormones uh -huh. um, that leads to the brain uh, growing faster. Uh, but very, very interesting about it taking up more space because it would because it's bigger, right? Right. But it's gray matter. And it's, we were talking last week about the fact that some, I remember somebody describing it to me and saying, so it grows so fast it doesn't have time to make all the connections. So it's like having long distance telephone service without having local mm -hmm. service, which I found re really a great analogy when, when Jem was growing up. Mm -hmm. uh, but so a great thing for us to be able to say that our kids have bigger brains. <laughs> so there. So there to everybody else, right? And then right. Did, you, did you get a chance to vote yesterday? Of course I did. Well, not of course. I have to say that there were several people that I talked to on Monday and Tuesday, uh, Monday and Sunday, and then a little bit yesterday that I was saying to everybody, you're going to vote, I right? I sent my ballot in by mail. Oh, did you? Yeah. See, and I like to go, but okay. I think after this last time, I, I was like, you know, I need to rethink this a little bit because I saw things happen to people and they weren't able to vote. And it really? was driving me crazy. Well, for instance, uh, this was interesting. My sister ended up being in the hospital. Right. And I was like, are you going to get to vote? And she said, I don't know. And I thought, well, there's a good reason to put your ballot in right. early. But she did get to vote. Mm -hmm. She told her nurse and she said, I want to vote. And they, her precinct, brought a ballot to her and she voted from the really? hospital bed. Yeah, which I didn't know you could do that. But I would bet that there are people in the hospital who don't know that you can ask for that. Right, I'm sure. Um, but but apparently you can, but there were people who had to travel and they were like, yeah, I didn't know I was traveling mm -hmm. and now I, um, so I can definitely see the benefit. I, once I voted by mail so uh, when easy. I was in college, I always just feel like, well, where does that go? And do they really open it? Does it get counted? <laughs> and, and I like to go and I'm always take Jem with me from the time he was little and in his little carrying case, I brought him every single time I have voted. And uh, yesterday was no exception, but we had to be there at 7 o'clock when they opened because uh -huh. our lives were busy yesterday. And, uh, and he was not happy with me, can I tell you, that I dragged him out of bed uh, to go stand there and watch me vote. Uh, but I said to him... He understands all about voting, though. He does. Um, he did not, for instance, we had so many propositions, mm -hmm. and he knew some of them, but he didn't oh, know he all did of know them. them. He, yeah, well, I mean, if you watch any TV at all, they right. bombarded you right. with them this year. Um, but we have talked about voting literally since he was in the carrier, and um, he knows that uh, he, <laughs> I have... I have uh, just been adamant from the time he was little that it is his responsibility. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it's implied to him that it's his right. Uh -huh. But this has come up a lot in this last week about people on the autism spectrum and do they have the right to vote. To vote. And, I, and I see that more and more people are taking the initiative and there are different laws in different places um, that talk about what if you have what intellectual level you need to be mm -hmm. to be able to vote. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it, it's getting wider in more and more places. But we're, there's a great story this morning, it was out yesterday, about a mom who wanted her son to vote. Mm -hmm. 
um, and he is 28, 28. years uh -huh. old on the autism spectrum. And uh, so she wrote him essentially a social story uh, about it's an instruction manual about on how, how to vote. and that voting is important that, and that he's expected to do it. Mm -hmm. They noted in the story, um, and this was covered by CNN, which I appreciate. They noted that there, if he lived someplace else, that he may not have been able to vote. But right. where he lives, he was able to vote, um, and that he and his. Uh, he read the story every day that his parents read it to him, that some of the people that work with him uh -huh. read him the story every day. I think it, she's got to publish it. I she, think she is publishing it. Because uh, it's, well, it's, it, I think you I know, read that. she needs to be able to give that to the community. But I, I you know, I love it because it goes hand in hand with what we've been doing. Right. I mean, uh, there are still things, because we were at a different precinct yesterday because we moved than we've ever been before. Right. And I was like, I don't really know how this works here. And um, we stood in the line, and then they came and said to us, well, do you have a green ballot or a yellow ballot? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know. How would I know that? Well, it's written on your booklet. Oh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well, I have a green ballot, mm -hmm. you know? And, well, then you need to stand in this line. Well, I've never done that before. I've never right. had a green and a yellow. Right. Sometimes in this world, we just, like, people take, they, it's as if they, they take it for granted that everybody knows how to do everything, right? right. I always get angry when I, when I go into a restaurant and it has no, and it's a fast food place and it has no clearly defined signs about stand here and order right. here right. and pick up your food here. And then, and so you get in the wrong lane and everybody mm -hmm. looks at you like you're completely from another planet. Mm -hmm. How would you know? Right. Makes me mad. But in any case, um, so Jen got to see his mother and his father stumble through not knowing the difference between a green ballot and a yellow ballot. Right. Honestly. <laughs> and then, and then, of course, because we had just moved and we made the decision that my husband was going to write in to get his voter registration and I was going to do it online and we were going to see how it worked. Well, his went in. Uh -huh. um, mine did not. But I was able to keep pursuing it on the phone and online. I had to register four times. Did you really? Four times because it wasn't taking it online. But okay. I kept, I was, I persevered mm -hmm. and and I kept calling them back and saying am I there am I there am I there and so I was so we weren't in the actual you know where they um, you know where it's printed already I was on the blue paper mm -hmm. which was the one that was done last week but my husband was not he mm -hmm. had to vote provisionally oh, okay. and it, and you know so it's provisional but it was great because Jem got to see what that is mm -hmm. and that nobody lost it nobody mm -hmm. was like you know I get to vote it's my right yeah my husband voted provisionally it looked a lot like but it had you know paper attached to it then he came with me to the booth and he's watched me a million times stick the thing in. And every time I say this is not how it is in every state, in New York, you have to pull the little lever right. that closes the curtain and okay. then you flick the levers. Uh -huh. But in California, you have the little ink thing right. and you have to do the dots. And we talk about the fact that it's not the same every place. Mm -hmm. And he was so funny because he was like, Mom, I know, I know. And I had my little booklet because I do my booklet ahead of time because mm -hmm. otherwise I don't know how you do it. It would take I you know. hours, takes right? But so, and I was telling him as I was doing it, look, I'm checking the numbers as I do it because sometimes the ballots are wrong. Mm -hmm. One of our viewers had written in and said the numbers didn't match up with what was in her booklet. Right. And I said, you got to check that. And then when you pull it out, you got to see that it actually inked. Mm -hmm. No hanging chads, right. right? We talk about that. We did all, but so at one point, and he was like, you know, too cool for school and acting like he didn't care. And at one point he said, 
oh, would you like me to mark it for you? Yeah. <laughs> like, because it looked like it was fun, and I said, unfortunately, that part you can't do. Right. You can stand here, but nobody can mark my ballot for me. Uh, unless I physically can't do it. Right. And I think he was a little bummed. I think he was like, I can't wait to do this, and mm -hmm. I can't wait till the first time he votes. So anyway, I so with Wyatt, do you guys ever talk about voting? Yeah, we talk about voting and how important it is. And so is he, because he's about to turn 17 in a right. couple of days. So you're just like a year away. Right. He might, no, he'll just miss next year's. Mm -hmm. So it'll be the year after mm -hmm. that he gets to mm -hmm. vote. Uh, but that's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. Do you think he'll be excited about it? I think so. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, uh, it's a powerful thing, and I love the fact, I love moms who, you know, I mean, like you writing about, uh, you wrote the Sammy stories with, with Wyatt. Wyatt about, so he wouldn't elope. Yeah. I think when moms uh, do things like this, it just warms my heart. You make it fit for your kid, mm -hmm. but uh, you can check it out on CNN if you want to, and they show a picture of the book, but we think that she, that she's going to be publishing, so you can buy it at your local bookstore. So um, we have a great guest today. Uh, Vince Redman is going to be with us in just a second, and he, as many of you probably already know, is a licensed marriage and family therapist. Vince worked for years, decades, I believe, as a... Um, behavior intervention therapist. So he knows the value of therapy and what the steps are that you have to go through as a family and how overwhelming it can be. Both Nancy and I can testify in front of a Congressional Senate mm -hmm. <laughs> hearing about how difficult it is. Um, and I love the, the fact that now Vince's role has changed and he's a licensed marriage and family therapist and can help families to deal with some of the anxiety and the stress and the what do I do now mm -hmm. that comes with having a child on the spectrum? I've shared before that a million years ago, I was like, I, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. And went to a therapist. Somebody said, well, you've got to get help. Go to a therapist. And I went to the therapist and was describing all the things that were making me anxious. Mm -hmm. and, and she said, oh, well, you've got to stop that ABA thing. <laughs> that's clearly <laughs> the thing that's making you anxious. You have to be here and do that and find the funding. And you should stop that immediately. And I was like, what? It's a good thing you didn't listen to her, huh? Well, can you imagine... Uh, you know, from her perspective, that was what was your issue. Okay, but I have a friend right now whose two-year-old son has been diagnosed with a very uh, extremely aggressive form of cancer. Oh, really? And he is this two-year-old is going through chemotherapy, and it's just and and, and That's radiation. Be oh my gosh, it is so. And I see the stress that she and her husband are under, and it's financial stress, and it's personal stress, but I don't see anybody walking up to her and saying, well, you should just stop, stop, trying, stop trying to get or him better. The, yeah. yeah, like nobody's saying, like yeah. everybody's just trying to help her to right. get through it. Right. And I, I wish, I, I, we just did a big long talk about, you know, not wanting to put a negative stigma on autism, but you know, uh, it is a disorder, and mm -hmm. there is a, a thing that you have to go through to be able to help people, and that is stressful. And I wish people would get on board and offer help and support to families the way I see people stepping up for this friend of ours. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just remarkable how mm -hmm. people are stepping up. It mm -hmm. gives me faith in, in the world, how people are stepping up to support her. Because um, everybody gets it. This and people is a child. don't step up in the same way for autism. Well, I think ABA therapy. Well, no, and even no. the therapist saying to me, "Well, you should stop that. Mm -hmm. That seems like that's stressful." 
I think that's just un, un, unawareness. But yeah. how lucky are we that we have Vince, and Vince totally gets that and would never, ever uh, say that to a family. I think it's the beginning of that good place that we want to get to with autism where, right. where you get the support you need for the thing that you're mm -hmm. actually trying to do, mm -hmm. not the unhelpful thing. Right. My mother was always somebody who, you know, I remember going off to college and everything was fine, but, you know, one day it wasn't, and I called home, and I was like, well, this happened, and she, you should come home right now. Mm -hmm. Was your mom like that? My mother was like, you should come. Pack your bags. I'll go to the bus station and pick you up. You should come home. And I go, Mom, no, I don't want to come home. I just want to complain about right. something that happened. Right. Well, you should come home right now. Not helpful. Not helpful. Was your mom that way? No, not really. But you were so independent so early on. I was on. pretty dependent, independent early on. My mom, if she were alive, would probably say, I did that so that you would say, well, I don't want to come home. That was probably the way she got me to stay at college. Psychology. Yes. Anyway, I digress. Uh, we should uh, take a break yes, and get Vince come back on. and get Vince All right, on the phone. So Vince Redman, after these messages, stick with us. Hey, I'm Candace Cameron Bray. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're watching Autism Live. Hi, you're back at Autism Live. I'm Lisa Ackerman and you're at the Allergy Friendly Cooking Show. And we have kind of an interesting surprise. I've brought my sister. That's surprise number one. Yeah. The yeah. fact that I came is surprise number I know, two. Right? Hi, Jamie. Hi. <laughs> and we're doing one of my favorite recipes, an ode to Sue, a Taka super mom. She created a kid-friendly sushi recipe for her son, Zach. So hi, Zach. Thanks for allowing us to borrow your lunch recipe because it's really awesome. So we can't wait to show it to you. First, what I'm going to do is we're going to cut up some of these things so we can get ready. I'm going to take an organic cucumber and just make some slices of this that we're going to use in a little bit to add um, some extra textures to the seaweed roll that we're going to do. And I'm just making long slices so we can place this in our sushi later on. And then I got, of course, a nitrate-free, gluten-free, fantastic sausage. Love this. So this is a barbecue chicken that we had last night. It was pretty awesome. Make sure that I have a little bit of everything here for the sushi roll. So now let's make the sauce. Use my gluten-free, casein-free, soy-free soy sauce. And um, of course, my most favorite thing in the world is crushed ginger. Love this stuff. I thought that was garlic at first. No, you can actually I didn't know you'd do buy it that way. This ginger is just such a blessing for digestion. So I just made this quick sauce. Super easy. So here's my cooked rice. This rice is very, very sticky. I used this really great little water and um, apple cider vinegar combination just to keep my hands. That's what the sushi chefs do is a little trick, which is like pretty Use for apple cider. I know, and I love that stuff. So good for you. So all I'm doing is just keeping my fingers a little bit damp so the rice doesn't stick to my fingers. And we're just pushing this all through. If your kids don't like green, not a problem, you just flip it over. So that way we can hide the green stuff from our kids and it will be rice out as part of the recipe. So let's have a little fun. We're gonna do 
my favorite, avocado. And if you're sending this uh, to lunch with your kids, um, you may want to put a little extra of the lemon on there because it, it will get brown. And I even have sensory issues for the brown stuff. So there we go. There's our avocado. So the next thing I'm going to do is do a couple of the uh, cucumbers. I know, it's so easy and it's so cute and we're going to eat healthy. Yay! You make one for me for lunch today, yes, right? you can have one for lunch. Now comes the fun stuff, the sausage. So you could put anything in here. Anything. Jeez. Anything. It's really just the simplest thing in the entire world. And then, so, you know, it's sushi kids can eat. And I'm not, I wasn't joking about that. So I may squeeze a little more extra lemon on there. And now I'm going to take my little sausage or sauce. Excuse me. Just put a little bit on there so we're coating. About a oh, teaspoon. Doesn't so it look good? You can get this at any cooking food store. So this is just the little sushi roller, which I think is fun. So I'm going to put this underneath. And I'm going to start to roll. So you got to watch how you go through and roll this. So the biggest thing is to try to get it compacted enough. So when all is said and done, wow. we can hide the green stuff. So again, with um, cutting sushi, you want to make sure you're nice, really sharp. And um, we also want to get it a little wet because that way it would make it easier for cutting. So I'm going to just cut off the ends. It's so funny. These are our taster bites, Jamie. You can tell me how these taste. Go ahead and try it. Yum. I know, right? See? And your body kind of goes, wait, I'm waiting for seafood. But you've got awesome sausage, chicken, You've got a full serving of vegetables. And is that good? Yeah. Yum? You're not lying? You're not lying? Okay, good. I like more sauce. You like more we sauce? We can even put wasabi in there if we like yeah, it. Yeah, if, you know, I think the wasabi, the issue. Oh, we're making it for kids, sorry. Yeah, we are making it for kids. This is just a fun way to introduce more foods to your kids and notice they're eating seaweed. We'd love to hear from you. If you have an idea or you want us to convert a recipe, let us know. Jamie, thanks for being my Thank fabulous flannel white. Um, you can reach us at autismlive at gmail.com or Facebook, facebook.com slash autismlive. Or we have thousands of recipes on Taka Now. So, you know, go check out the Taka website and let's get cooking. So we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. You say howdy, we say hi. Let's get right, let's get wild, let's get, let's get. What is autism? 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 Uh, <laughs> I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, let me think about that one. <laughs> um, trying to uh, just. Uh... Jeez. Let me think. <laughs> oh man, that's a big one. Yes. Uh, autism. Uh, uh... Autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability and it's really not. I look at it as like a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another. It's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability to educate. They're given 
So much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter. Fun. Joy. Autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope. that, you know, like a th therapist will um, ask a parent to do something, and it's something... Hi, I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're at the ABCs and XYZs of Special Needs Conference. And this year, for the first time, they've got something really remarkable. It's the Entrepreneurial Boutique. These are all items that have been made and are being sold by individuals who have special needs. So we're going to do a little shopping and talk to some of these fabulous entrepreneurs. My name is Molly Rarick, and I'm founder of Breeds Gift. We're a nonprofit that serves teens and adults with special needs, like Chase here. Uh, we were founded in 2013 and serve people in the Conejo Valley, Santa Barbara, and LA. Our main objective is to give our participants the skills they need to gain a more independent life. My name is Shelly Cox and um, Lisa Zalagi and I are founders of Creative Steps and Create Micro Business Enterprises. And the, the items that we're selling here today are all made by the clients who have uh, passions about what they want to make and then they get the profits from what they make after we've paid all of the other expenses. We are here today because um, I, my goal is to be independent and also I would like to share all my artwork and I would like to sell. Thinking about at his young age being a businessman, you know, it's, it's amazing. I cannot be more proud. And it took us a little while because we were having some difficulties right. with sound with Skype. Um, but uh, we've got Vince Redman right. on audio and on Skype. Right. So we're going to get picture and sound from two different feeds. Uh, and so first of all, Vince, we want to welcome you back to Autism Live. We were talking about you just a few minutes before we um, took a break about how amazing you are. Vince is a licensed marriage and family therapist who worked in the field of autism as a behaviorist for many, many, many years. Um, so he has experience in both those fields and it's just a wonderful gift to the autism community that he is able as an LMFT, mm -hmm. Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, to bring that perspective to be able yes. to help families. Because this, Nancy and I were saying before, there's nothing easy about this, Vince. No. So welcome, Vince. Welcome, Vince. How are you ladies today? We're good. We're doing good. And, and better because you're here. So, uh, and, and I think we teased it to the audience because you guys could hear us. What we want to talk about, Vince, is how parents and therapists talk to each other because it's not always productive. Right. And that the example that I was saying to you during the break is that, you know, sometimes a therapist, well-meaning therapists, will give us as parents, and I'm laughing, 
because sometimes it is laughable. They'll give us some sort of task to do, mm -hmm. like they want us to take data on something or they want us to follow through with something at a very difficult time of the day or in a very difficult location or when we've got other kids. And so they'll give us this task, and honestly, it brings up such emotions, does it not, Nancy? Yes, because it's one thing to be, well, first of all, the way your child reacts differently when the therapist is there. Yeah. So the, the results the therapist can get are oftentimes much, almost always, 100% time, better than the results of you're going to get. And then when you try to emulate the same protocol, it can be disastrous it can be really hard and so they say it to us and immediately there's a part of it that we're, we're angry yeah because we go on the defensive like yeah. you try doing it right 24 7 365. and i always felt like a failure uh -huh. right you're going to ask me you're setting me up for failure to do the thing i don't want to do but a lot of times and i talk to therapists who say oh, the parents will come back and say to them well, do you have a child on the spectrum? Right. You know, and, and we get that kind of, and then I think that makes them shut down. And then I was saying to you, then we're, then we're off to the races. So talk to us a little bit about as parents, how can we, what can we be saying to therapists when we're feeling that overwhelmed that's productive, not so do you have kids on the spectrum? would start and, and then the relationship breaks down from that point. I think a lot of times the, the, the genesis of, of miscommunication comes from parents when they, you know, emotional reactions, when they see their child struggling or they see their child having a hard time. Or, as Nancy was saying, you, they see the child do things that you or, or them as a parent aren't able to get their children to do. So sometimes it's a positive, sometimes it's a negative, and that creates these emotional reactions with, with many families where they you know, aren't able to communicate their feelings appropriately to the therapist, and the therapist might ask something benign about following through with this or, you know, please um, let him tantrum, let him work through this, we're going to go ahead and work through this, um, or... Again, maybe following through with language um, protocols and using, you know, AT devices when it's a lot easier to just get the child something that they know that the child wants rather than going through the steps on using an AT device. So there's lots of different reasons, but I think you're both right in that it comes from emotional reactions for different reasons, different things that come up and, you know, how they're feeling at that time. Now, what do they do with it? How are they holding that, right? They're holding it right there. How do they communicate with the therapist? And I think honesty is the best thing, just saying I'm really having a hard time right now because he doesn't do this for me. Or I'm having a really hard time right now because um, it bothers me to see her tantrum or it bothers me to see her um, so upset. How, you know, and then this way it starts a dialogue where the therapist can then explain why they're letting uh, the, the child work through the tantrum or why it's necessary to use the AT device. Now, we're, we're, we're guiding the conversation to where it needs to go clinically, but yet it started with the admission of I'm having an emotionally hard time with this because dot, dot, dot. Now everyone knows each other's points of view and we're able to communicate better and more appropriately. Yeah, I, I, I'm fond of telling the story when, when Jem was hitting me. There was a period of time in which there were three different years that we cycled through, and in the spring, for whatever reason, something would happen to me or to him, but in the spring, I would get hit. And I would I'm not just hit, hit in the head. 
and I don't know how everybody else feels, but man, I got hit as a child. I, I like, I don't deal well when somebody hits me in the head, even if it's my three-year-old. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. good for my psyche. Mm -hmm. and, and I was really skating on a thin edge. And I remember coming to CARD and saying, I, 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 you know, I was keeping it a secret for a while mm -hmm. because I was embarrassed. Right. And I felt like I was a failure and I was ashamed. And I came to CARD and I said, at our clinic, somebody's got to help us because right. I don't. Something bad's going to happen. I don't mm -hmm. know what it's going to be, but some, he's going to punch my lights out. I'm going to, you know, whatever. Something bad's going to happen. Help me! And they brought in the A team, and one of the people on the A team was the fabulous Art Wilkie, who I always say is like the Santa Claus of card, who would never make anybody mad mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. The sweetest, nicest guy, right? Vince is smiling. Mm -hmm. And he, Art, and, and it was Dr. Jonathan Tarbox at the same time, they were showing me what to do. And Art was going through this whole thing, this whole series of events um, to show me what to do. Because it would be when I would put him, we'd be in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And he'd be in the little thing in the grocery store and he would start whacking at my head. Right. And I would say, that's it, we're out of the grocery store, right? Because right. that was what the therapist had said to do. And so we would leave the grocery store and then I'd go to put him in the car and now I gotta, he's heavy, and I gotta bend over. My hands are full right. of him, and right. he would. And then I would have to get him into the seat and get the five point harness on. And like, I needed a helmet. Time, right. And um, so I was, you know, they were showing me what to do, and Vince, or um, you're Vince. But um, Art was showing me what to do, and, he, and, and the whole time it was like there was a thin layer of smoke coming out of my head, because right. I got madder and madder as Art was showing me what to do. And he turned around in the clinic and he was like, so do you think you could do that? And I was so angry at the lovely Art Wilkie. And he could tell, and he said, tell me, I see something in your face, tell me what, and I, and I just started yelling at him, right? And I said, where is my purse in this scenario, Art? You don't have a purse. You're trying to show me how to do this, and you don't even have a purse, so where is my purse? Because he was doing this, and I was right. like, well, it must be nice to be unencumbered with it, a purse. Right. And I was so mad, and he looked at me, and he was so patient, he said, is that the problem? And I said, yes, because I would have my purse hitting me in the head and my purse hitting me in the back right. or my purse in the cart and somebody stealing it right. while I'm trying to deal with him. And Art looked at me for a second. He said, would you be willing to wear a fanny pack while we do this intervention? Mm -hmm. And I felt so stupid. And I was like, sure. <laughs> You know what I mean? But it was, that hadn't occurred to me. Right. And then I was kind of mad that it hadn't occurred to me, and I felt I felt ridiculous. And I, all I wanted to do was leave and cry. I right. just felt like I'm an idiot. Um, but, of course, I then went and did the fanny pack, and he stopped hitting me in the head. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that I did say something, but I felt stupid, Vince. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that happens, right? We're... we're you know, parents get, you know, shameful that, that they can't, you know, tolerate their child crying or that they, they don't see the bigger picture, right? They don't see that a fanny pack or a backpack would work over a purse. But that's because we're, you're, emotionally you're emotionally invested in it. You're emotionally dealing with it. And you're, you're, you're doing it with one hand tied behind your back where a lot of times the suggestions, while they might be a little bit logical, it's because 
we're not looking at that. We're looking at that micro frame of what's happening right then, right now. How do I protect myself? How do we get in fight or flight? And that's where the collaboration is so beneficial with the families and, and the ABA supervisors or, you know, assaultive behavior technicians that are able to work together because you can look at the bigger picture, come up with alternatives. Maybe that you kind of hit yourself and go, duh, I should have known that. Um, but that's the, it's, it's, it's the, that collaboration where we come up with those beautiful interventions and beautiful ideas. It's not one or the other. It's together. It, and it's always so interesting when you do access, like sometimes I don't even know what's wrong, but when right. you do access it and say it to these young people, it's like they're stunned because whatever the thing is that's stopping us truly hadn't occurred to them. It's always something like really random that yeah. had, right. and that to you and I, Nancy, is like, well, duh, yeah. of course like, of there's course, a purse, right? Right. But that why would that occur to Art, who's never carried a purse in right. his life? Right. Did you ever have that when you, back in the days when you were a therapist, Vince, where a parent said something to you that you went, okay, now I understand why you're having a problem with that. Right, absolutely. And, and it goes back to kind of the, the, the comment you had mentioned where families say, well, do you have a child that's autistic? You know, one of the things I used to get when I was a young therapist was, do you have children? Yeah. Period. And, you know, it, 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 while it came out in, a, you know, oftentimes in an emotional reaction, it does to give you that, that, that kind of, you know, point of view of you don't know this. You're not getting up at four in the morning and you're not um, having to be fully responsible for this person. And so a lot of times when the parents would bring that perspective to a situation, any behavioral situation, it could be um, aggressive behavior or even just non-compliant behavior or maybe you know self-stimulatory behavior, they bring up the point of view, what it is like for a parent who has to be responsible for so much more than the therapist or a supervisor. And that was really beneficial for me as a therapist because, you know, a lot of the, our young individuals, our young therapists, they don't have that perspective. They're looking in through the lens of, of um, ABA and what scientifically needs to be done. But when you're able to look at the full perspective of what a parent has to do, the emotions they have to deal with, the other responsibilities that they have to deal with, then it actually becomes a better collaboration because now we as the professionals are able to understand the parental point of view and then we hope that that opens up the door for the parents then to understand the you know professional point of view and we have a good symbiotic and you know working relationship at that point but the point the parents point of view is extremely important absolutely and we often feel like saying to the therapist yeah well you don't have to deal with it 24/7 24/7 you walk out the door you come in here and have a good session and then you walk out the door I, and it falls apart then. What, one of the things, that I, I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when you were here, Vince, that um, the show Parenthood I thought was really interesting the way it depicted autism because when the boy in Parenthood started therapy, the first therapist showed up, and I can't think what the name of the actress was, beautiful actress, shows up at the door to do therapy and she's young and beautiful and the mom was kind of feeling like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. you know, this beautiful young woman's gonna come in and she starts to say something to the boy and the mom's like, oh, he's not gonna be able to understand that or do that. And the, the therapist kind of puts up her hand, it's like, well, we're gonna work on that. 
And within three minutes, she gets him to do it. Right. And the mom is furious. Right. And I, and I, the thing that's sad to me is that I totally understand that mm -hmm. and felt the same way. I totally, because you're supposed to be the mom and you're supposed to be the yeah, one to get, get the them. results. And if a young, pretty girl can come in and do it in five seconds, mm -hmm. then it wasn't that he couldn't do it. It was that I couldn't get him to exactly. do it. Right. And so there's that that's going on. But it's so sad because these are the people who've come to help us. And sometimes we're so in our own way feeling jealous mm -hmm. that they can get our children to do something that we won't get out of our way to learn Absolutely. how they do it. But it's human nature. I think we're all, uh, you know, guilty of that. But so Vince, how, again, how can we help ourselves when we're feeling that way to remember this is a member of our team and they're doing good things with our kids and that while there's a place for us to be jealous, it's not helping our kids. Right. And I think that's the, that's the exact mind frame you wanted to take is that we're all one family, right? We're all doing this together. And I know um, the supervision teams that I have when I'm leading a team or, or working with a family, I, I state that several times is that we can't do this without you, just as you've turned to us for our expertise to be able to help you. There's no one person that we can take out of this equation that's going to make it better. Because I think sometimes family members feel that, well, if I'm not involved, this is going to be better or if I take myself out because I'm the problem things are going to get better and that's absolutely the opposite that's not the case at all everybody you know participating everybody's point of views are valuable and taking it from the we are a team um, you know point of view I think is extremely helpful um, and it has to start from the beginning it has to start from the very beginning from from the beginning they, the, the time they initiate ABA services to the time that they end is that everybody's just as valuable as the other person to that team because like Nancy was saying and then Jen you were saying as well a lot of times when you see your child do something for someone else you immediately take it upon yourself as a failure that I didn't do this or I couldn't do this when we want to look at a bigger picture where you know we have to look, we have to break down the child's behavior and see why he's doing it at home and not doing it with a new person. Because sometimes it's not anybody's fault. It was just a conditioned behavior that happened unbeknownst to us that that's why it was conditioned because it was functional for him, right? You know, you maybe not using the AT device and just pointing at something and grandma and dad and whoever immediately just gave him the stuff. Great. That was communicative. It was functional. Then when we try to bring up um, you know, maybe verbal mans, the child doesn't do it because this works in the house. But then a new person comes in and they don't, they don't follow the point ever. And they only ask for a verbal man. The child then uses it, gets what they want. Now they see that this behavior I have to do with this person because that's what works. This behavior I do with that person and that's what works. And that's why the consistency of using interventions is so important that the team and the family are using the same methods, same behavioral interventions, same you know uh, 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 techniques or, or uh, AT devices or special technologies, so that it doesn't matter who's doing it, me, mom, dad, the therapist, that the same result is what we're asking for. You just said something a few minutes ago, though, Vince, that just opened my eyes to something I hadn't thought about before because you said, you know, sometimes a parent will see that the child doesn't do it when they're there, and so they think, oh, I'm the problem, and then they feel like removing themselves from the problem. Mm -hmm. See, I never felt that, but I'll bet that's what a lot of what we see in our dads 
stems from. Because yeah. um, I have watched dads go, uh, you know, well, he doesn't, he, he only does that when I'm around, so maybe right. I'll go work more um, to provide, and that's how I'll help, because I don't seem to be helping doing this. I'll remove myself from the equation. And the problem that happens is the further you remove yourself from the equation, the more the kid progresses with other people, and the more it looks like it's just you. Right. Which is a false positive, right? Um, so. So what, when we see dads doing that, Vince, uh, pulling more and more away, what do you recommend that we do to pull them back in? Yeah, and, and, and again, you're right. And then stereotypically, it is typically more of the fathers that you see do this. However, I, you know, we do see other you know, uh, family members that do it as well. Sure. The, I think for me, the key is to catch it early, is to not wait until there's been a lot of progress or a lot of change that's happened and then that parent or caregiver is not involved in it because that gap continues to get bigger at that point. And then we start dealing with other things that, that come up then um, where the child now is not emotionally being supported by a parent or that parent now is feeling disconnected from their own family. So that creates marital strain, um, those types of things. So I think it's extremely important to catch that early. So making sure that we talk to a parent that doesn't come to clinics, making sure we reach out for their point of view, making sure that they, you know, are, are at least in agreement with what's going on at home. Now, we can't, we can't 100% patrol or control what happens at home, but at least that they understand us as the professionals, at least we know if they understand the interventions, the reason the interventions are there, the reason it's important for everyone to do it, then we hope we've given them, you know, everything that they need to go ahead and follow through. But I know for myself, I've reached out to parents just to meet with them privately, to ask them what their concerns are. What are their goals? What are their expectations of treatment? Even if they, they don't participate in our clinic meetings. So then it shows that you know we value their input and we also think that they're extremely important to this process as well. Mm -hmm. Kind of countering that, that uh, what, intuition to pull away. Mm -hmm. I, we just would like to stick you in our back pocket and take you to every single parent all the time, Vince. I know parent meetings are us, right? <laughs> but you know, Vince, I I feel like, I, and I've said this to other guests before, um, but not to everybody, right? I feel like there's a book here that you need to write. Um, do you know what I mean? I think that it's so hard for parents this this journey mm -hmm. and and we were talking before about the advice that I got that I went to a, a a marriage and family therapist who suggested to me that we stop ABA because that seemed to be the thing that was causing all the stress right. and that one of the things that I I really uh, love about you is that that's never gonna come out of your mouth mm -hmm. <laughs> you know that you so totally get it but I really feel like Vince there's a book here that you need to write um, that so many people would benefit from, um, even if it was just a book about how to talk to your therapist right. and know that they're how to get on the same team with your therapy yes. team. Very important. Um, and and I can I can see moms buying it to give to their husbands, mm -hmm. but then sitting down and reading it themselves and going, oh, I need this too, because mm -hmm. I think we all do yes, need that. Yes, we do. We need to be reminded. And, and also, I got to say that, you know, we're forever, you know this, Vince, we're forever talking to the therapist about 
doing perspective taking and taking things from the parents' point of view, it might be an interesting read for them to mm -hmm. go, oh, maybe that that's why they're surly with me sometimes. Right. It's not that they think I'm doing a bad job. It's that they're jealous of the fact that I can get their kid to do mm -hmm. Because every time I've ever said that to a therapist, the therapist is like, oh, oh, well, then I'd be happy to show you how to do that. Mm -hmm. And then the relationship is so much better. I just, so Vince, could you please write a book? I think, I think you and I will have to co-author one together from both perspectives. I'm, okay. I'm happy to be in the on that. And, and, I, and also, can I say, too, put one together. All right. In our spare time, uh, of which we have none. Right. We'll, we'll get right on that. Uh, but Vince, I gotta say this. I don't know. Have you got a new pair of glasses or what's going on? You look like a young young James Caan. No, they're the same ones. They are. Doesn't he look like a young yeah, he James Caan? He does. Uh, you totally look like Maybe Jimmy Caan. Because Conway. I finally can wear long sleeves again in California. Uh, yeah, is that what I know, it is? Fall. I don't think so. You look like Jimmy Caan today. I don't know. I don't know what. I was like, <laughs> look at him. He looks like James Caan. I never noticed that before. Vince, we just adore you, and I'm so grateful for your life experience and the way you share that with parents. It's just an amazing, amazing gift to our community. Yes, and thank you for all your support and your information today. How can people, if, you're, if they're a card client and they want to, to have some of your time to talk about things that are going on with them, how can a card client reach you? They can always reach me. They can email me at v. Redmond, R-E-D-M-O-N-D, -E as you can see my name's on there, just Redmond at centerforautism.com. And if somebody, because you do take private um, patients outside of CARD as well, if somebody, because you can do telehealth here in California, correct? Yeah. If you're looking for counseling, we also do counseling services as, as kind of a cutout service, mm -hmm. um, and you can email me that as well. Okay. Same, same address. Uh, and I recommend yep. that if somebody's out there and they're like, well, I would go to a licensed right. family therapist, but I, I don't know where, you know, you have that option with Vince. You could talk right. to him and see if you there can you work are. that out schedule wise. I know he's busy, but you know, you could see what can happen. Thank you so much, Thanks, Vince. Vince. No problem, ladies. Have a we'll great rest of your month. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're and, almost uh, out of time. I know, we're almost out of time. Can I take a quick second to talk about, about our new tomorrow? website? Oh, about the new website. Well, and tomorrow is a pretty cool show, too. We're okay. going to have okay. Elaine Hall about, on okay. from the Miracle Project. We've got Chloe Snee on tomorrow, autism expert. She's going to be answering your questions. And then we've got an amazing woman, Wendy Dawson, is going to be on from Social Motion. Uh, they're a group in Houston that is doing amazing things with her students, which will tie into the other thing that I want to talk about. She has art artisans. These are young mm -hmm. adults, mm -hmm. and they're artisans. Um, they learn their craft um, working with Social Motion, and they get to sell their artwork. Oh, great. Where's she out of? Houston. Oh, Houston. Houston. And so, but, you know, with the potential of mm -hmm. maybe franchising and going other places. Mm -hmm. So we, um, this week, we launched our new website, but it's in beta right now, and people can go and check it out. And one of the reasons why I especially want you to check it out, so you have to go to HTTP, no S, dot, backslash, backslash, and then it's beta, B-E-T-A, dot, autism, hyphen, live, dot com. And when you go there, on the top of every page is a little icon that says Toy Guide. And if you click on the Toy Guide, it shows you the 2018 Autism Live Toy and Gift Guide. Right. Where we've picked 
items for every age range and for every ability that we think are particularly rock stars mm -hmm. this year. And we have some really fun stuff on there. And we included parents this year. Okay. And when you go, you're going to see that there are earrings. We chose earrings that are made by the artisans from Social Motion. Oh, okay. So uh, you have the opportunity to get a pair of earrings for somebody, for a parent in your life that have been handcrafted uh -huh. by an individual who's an adult on the autism spectrum, plus tons of other toys. If you, whether it's, no matter which holiday or birthday, right. your son's got a birthday Wife's coming up. Birthday coming and up. it should give you at least an idea for everybody from babies up through adults mm -hmm. and then a special section that's just about parents i'm really proud of the guide this year and i want to hear from you guys um, and the other thing that we added this year last year you guys said you loved the guide but then you had to go look for the toy you had to look it up and see where to buy it and you said boy it would be nice if there were just a button that we could go right to the place where we can buy and the toy and we did that good for it you it is interactive so you click on the thing and you go right there and then you can order the toy right right from there good for you uh, it takes you to their site it's no longer our site we're not okay. making any money on it um but we wanted you to be able to have toys uh, that would be toys and gifts that would be meaningful to people. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a lot of research, had a lot of kids in trying and playing with toys, and uh, and we've got all of them stuffed in my office right now, and people have come and played and said, hey, these are fabulous, yeah. you know? Good. So I think we got a really good mix this year. So definitely okay. check that out. And what else so, do you have tomorrow? This so, so tomorrow, Chloe Snee is going to answer your questions. Uh, Elaine Hall from uh -huh. The Miracle Project is going to be talking with us about the kiddos that are on uh, Atypical. Uh -huh. uh, she's got, uh, I, I think, well, there's a whole host of uh, students from The Miracle Project that are regulars are on Atypical. You know, it just got picked up for its third season. It did, okay. So that's a fabulous thing. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then, as I mentioned, Wendy Dawson's going to tell us about social motion. It started as uh, a social skills right. thing, but then those kids progressed, and now... They have this, I mean, basically it's a workspace and, mm -hmm. and they make all kinds of keychains and other stuff. I particularly like the earrings, okay. but they work with metal and they work with leather and uh, and they're referred to as artisans, which I Great. quite like. So Fantastic. all of that is happening tomorrow. Okay. And then, of course, we're going to be back here next week. Right. Next week is the last uh, show, Wednesday show for us before Thanksgiving because the following week we decided not to do a show right. on the Wednesday. It's just too crazy right. traffic in LA, uh, you know, and when you gotta cook things. But you've got, Wyatt's got a birthday between Wyatt now and has then. a birthday on Saturday party. Which is very Her, exciting. His actual birthday is seven, Friday. Yeah, but he's gonna be 17. 17. How did we so get here, Nancy? I don't know, how did we? Uh, our boys were little when we started this. I know. It's full on crazy. Um, but anyway, we'll and we'll let you know some of like if Wyatt's okay with that, we'll let you know about the get together uh, celebrating Wyatt. Well, that's all for today. But we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me, and give yourselves a hug from me. Bye bye for now. Bye bye.